0: You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Lawrence. Today on Footprints, we welcome Kate Hazel-Hall, author and university lecturer. Kate is a debut author who is launching her first novel titled From Darkness in November 2020, published by Duet Books, the young adult imprint of Interlude Press in New York City. She has published short stories and creative nonfiction for adults, but YA fiction is where her heart is, especially fantasy, magical realism and speculative YA with a healthy amount of sapphic romance built in. When she isn't writing, Kate often sneaks off to the forest or the beach with a sketchbook or a surfboard. Despite wearing out several wetsuits, Kate is yet to gain her advanced surfer qualifications, but she does have a PhD in Literary Studies from Deakin University, Australia. She works and writes on Wurundjeri Country, teaching graduate research skills, genre studies, and ecological fiction. Kate lives with her daughters and the world's naughtiest rescue cat in a small coastal town just across the Southern Ocean from Antarctica. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sam. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Very excited to chat to you today about your novel that's coming out and all about your leadership journey so far. So can you, to start off briefly, describe what this leadership journey has been for you and how you've gotten to where you are
1: today? Sure. So. I'll be really honest, if I may, up front. When you invited me to come on the podcast, I felt a bit uncomfortable about thinking about myself in any way related to the concept of leadership. So my first kind of squirmy internal response was, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not the head of a company. I'm not an inspiring sports person. I'm not Jacinda Ardern. Um, But then I thought (laughs) about it a bit more and I thought about what might define leadership and i realized that maybe i've been thinking about leadership in a bit of a narrow frame and that maybe leadership means something beyond being publicly successful and inspiring although i think that's a big Mm -hmm. part of it and i started to think about what i do in my life that requires me to lead in whatever capacity here's what i came up with so um, i'm a single mother i've got two beautiful children I do teach at a university. I've helped a lot of people to complete their PhD journeys, and I'm lucky to be able to do this for a living. Um, I was the first person in my immediate family to get a PhD, and I did that under fairly difficult circumstances. Um, I come from a working class background, and so I'm really proud of my achievements, although I tend to remind myself of that often enough, I think. Mm. Um, Mm I'm a debut novelist, and I came out as a lesbian at the tender age of 39, just a couple of years before the ridiculous and damaging marriage equality plebiscite that our government decided we had to have. So these are all Mm -hmm. things that I am really proud that I have achieved. In addition, I'm a vegan who cares deeply about other animals, and I'm trying to find ways to put this ethics of care into my research and my writing and my everyday interactions with others so I don't have money or power or influence but I think maybe leadership isn't about money or power or influence I think it's about using what you have and whatever privileges life's accidents have maybe endowed you with to make positive changes wherever we can. So I'm really passionate about equal rights for LGBTQIA plus people, First Nations people, people of color, women, children, and other than human animals. And I'm tired of being quiet about the continuing injustices and harms that are inflicted upon marginalized groups. And so I guess I wanna use whatever time I've got left on the planet to speak up and to use my writing as a form of activism. So From Darkness, which debuts in November, is a young adult novel set partly in the Otways on Victoria's remote south-west coast and partly in the Greek underworld. It's a novel where the queer female characters fall in love and their love is completely accepted and celebrated by all the other characters in the story. Nobody's shamed or marginalised because of their identity, um, and there's a happy ending. The novel I'm working on right now, the new one, is about a girl called Mouse who escapes from a xenotransplantation facility. Um, It's also queer, but it's about what might happen in the near future if we keep using animals as resources, in this case, in biomedicine. So the upcoming book is an own voices celebration of queer female identity and love. And the next one is about animal rights and human rights. Wonderful. Yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. It's so Um, It's so true, you know, leadership is so much more than um, what society can think of, uh, you know, being out there publicly. Um, So it's wonderful to hear your words on that. If you could put it into one sentence, what would be the main thing um, that leadership means to you?
1: I think there's a few, there are a few key words that for me define leadership. I think strength, courage, determination and kindness would be the key words. So the leaders that I most admire are people like, you know, Greta Thunberg and Jane Goodall, and, and and they use these personal qualities that they have in spades to make the world a better place. And I think sometimes that comes at a great personal cost. It takes a lot of guts to stand up for what you know is right. Absolutely,
0: yeah. yes. And so are these qualities that you consciously implement in
1: your personal life
0: and professional life does it sort of just intertwine?
1: I, I try to. I think these are the qualities that I aspire to nurture and to grow as much as I can. Yeah. And I think to be a leader, you've got to have other people in your life who you look up to as leaders. For instance, for me right now, I'm always inspired by our local wildlife rescuer and head of the, the Surf Coast Animal Rescue. Um, organization his name is Jason and he coordinates the group but he also spends a lot of his nights driving around our coastal back roads rescuing kangaroos and other animals who've been been hit by cars yeah Yeah. and he he doesn't get paid for this he does it because his life's purpose is bound up with kindness and an ethics of care and he works full Mm. time he has a family but he still manages to do this work for animals
0: Mm. so I guess
1: another word that I might add to that list is self-sacrifice because This is kind of a synonym for kindness a lot of the time.
0: Mm, Yes, yes, absolutely. Wow. So can you tell me, Kate, about the evolution of your novel From Darkness and how you managed to write this whilst maintaining your full-time job and keeping up with your parenting
1: responsibilities? (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a juggle. So From Darkness is something that started a while ago. And the first draft, I wrote that some years ago when I was working as a high school teacher. So I get up at 5.30 a.m. Um, and this is something, this is a habit that I've rebooted recently, like in the last six months. And I firmly believe this is the best way for me anyway, to get any significant amount of writing done. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. So, you know, I'd write till the kids woke up and I still do. They kind of get up about 7 or 7.30. So I've got that little window in the early morning before the day no longer belongs to me. But in that first draft, even though I was busy working and and raising kids, the story was always there. It was kind of simmering away during my work hours, nudging me gently at various points, whatever I was doing, whether I was working or looking after the children, it was there sort of whispering at me. And I wrote it because at that time I'd left the university and my work there to go out and be a high school teacher. And I won't go into the reasons for that because they do involve other people, but Let's just say I wasn't very happy in that job. I missed doing research and I missed being surrounded by other people who were engaged in research. I love teenagers and of course I write for teenagers, but it turns out I wasn't any good at teaching big classes (laughs) full of teenagers, um, at least not in the way the Department of Education wanted me to teach them. So I kind of wrote From Darkness as a bit of an escape pod and I got my first request for the full manuscript while I was teaching. I was alone in an empty classroom um, and this glorious email dropped in. And it was this life changing moment for me. I remember thinking, I could actually pull this off. And from then on, it became real. the, The book became something that wasn't just a hobby, but something I invested a lot of energy in. And so I carved out more space for it and it became something that I nurtured just like, you know, the kids and my career. And it was a a leap of faith. So the earliest version of the manuscript was under consideration by this this publisher, this major publisher. But at that time, I also got offered an ongoing high school teaching position, which I declined (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and went back to my former role as a casual academic at the same university where I did my PhD. So it was a huge risk and it was one of the hardest decisions that I've ever made, but it has since paid off in lots of wonderful ways. Mm. And it only happened because a good friend and colleague offered me a way back in to the university. So it was one of those sliding doors moments where I chose to say yes, instead of, oh, I probably shouldn't, it's too risky, what if it doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, And I think trying to get a book published involves the same degree of risk taking and optimism. As well as a lot of luck (laughs) i think (laughs) so nowadays i work part-time at the university as an academic skills consultant for phd students but i also have some other casual roles there as well so i lecture and tutor in literary studies and i'm the deputy convener of the critical animal studies research network and collectively these roles do make up a full-time load and sometimes over full-time so writing and working and parenting is about, you know, trying to balance all of that. And I could not do that without the support of my friends and my family, but also doing the things that help to recharge me like surfing and, you know, going to the beach with the kids and, yes. as you know, you said in your bio, sneaking off to the forest whenever possible. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think that that adds to resilience, which is really important in any kind of leadership
0: Yes, absolutely. Can we talk about um, what leadership, uh, sorry, resilience in leadership means to you and
1: what that looks like for you? I think it's vital to all forms of leadership, absolutely vital. Mm. So if you look at dictionary definitions of resilience, you'll see phrases like, you know, the ability to recover quickly or, or bounce back into shape. And I think these are accurate definitions, but I don't think that summary goes far enough. So I think in speaking about what leadership is? I mentioned before some key qualities, you know, strength, courage, determination, kindness, etc. People who are strong themselves are, of course, in a position to help others who might be struggling. And people who have courage and show determination, brave people, we're inspired by them. We look at bravery and we think, well, maybe there are areas in my own life where I could be a bit braver. And people who are kind, who demonstrate kindness over and over again in big, expansive gestures and in small everyday ways, these actions are a gentle reminder to other people to also be kind wherever possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But these qualities all require the addition of resilience because when we're stretched thin by circumstances or by adversity, we can't be strong. And when other people use us as an outlet for their own anger and frustration or tell us that we're terrible or that we're deficient in some way, this can eat away at our resilience and especially over time if it goes on. So I think resilience, if that is the quality that allows us to sort of bounce back from adverse situations, is key to regaining strength and maintaining our reserves of courage and kindness that we can then share with other people. But it's got Mm -hmm. to be nurtured. So if you think about the hardiest plant that you know, um, I can see some gorgeous plants behind you, but you know, it will probably be be a succulent, right? So succulents can withstand terrible conditions, lack of water, poor soil Mm -hmm. quality, and so on. But it can't do that forever. And I think even if a plant can survive without water, it doesn't mean that it should. So in order to thrive, plants and people need to be nurtured. And whether this comes in the form of supportive friends, loving family, or just finding joy in the things that make us happy, if we're nurtured, Mm -hmm. we are resilient. When we have resilience, we can be strong and brave and determined and kind and, and therefore be able to lead other people.
0: Wow. That is wonderful. That is so beautiful. You've just, um, you've expressed that so beautifully. I, I love that sentiment and I love the way that you've expressed that just then. Thank you so much, Kate. Something um, that, I love to find out when I speak to guests on this podcast is whether they have any sort of secret routines or uh, special um, things that they do in their day to keep themselves on track and motivated. And you're speaking how um, particularly in the early days of really writing from darkness when you're, you know, very dedicated to doing that. And it was those early mornings. Mm. I'm interested to know what that looked like, you know, what, you know, how early you were getting up, what you were doing, if that's still the same now or if that was more
1: involved then. Yeah. I think it's about, as a colleague once so beautifully put it, carving out little windows of time in your day. And when you've got them, you keep them sacred and you keep them for that purpose. So I, I mean, I, I sometimes really suck at this. So it's five thirty. I've had my coffee. You know, I'm awake. I'm caffeinated. I've got the laptop open, and then, <laughs> yeah. but instead of writing, I, I end up attending to something that I hadn't done the night before, or, you know, I go off and attend. So, but but I try not to do that. I try to keep that hour and a half really really sacred and sacrosanct. That's for writing, and that's when the writing mm. gets done. But also, and this goes back to what I was saying about resilience, being with with the children. And another colleague gave this advice recently, and I think it's really important. When you're with your children, be with your children. When you're with mm-hmm. your book, be with your book. And be with those entities and beings completely and wholly without distraction when you can. Yes. Um, yes. And once you start to treat your creative project the way you would nurture a child, it all starts to come together and you can you find you can invest in it, I think rather than it being something that, oh, that's just a hobby that I'm doing in the background. No, it's not. This is something that is equally as important to you as a child or a job or or a family member. So treat it with that same amount of respect. And I think that's what helps to to keep the momentum going, for me anyway.
0: Wow, that makes a lot of sense, that's so beautiful. And it it also comes back, I suppose, uh, you know, for me as you're speaking, resonating with just being in the present moment and that how much sort of um, calm and happiness that brings to your life when you're really dedicated to just that present moment. And, and, you know, I can see how for you that's obviously just ended up manifesting into this really beautiful novel and, and you know, all these beautiful parts of your life. So it's really wonderful to hear. I am interested to know, were you always an early riser
1: at 5.30 a.m.? No, absolutely not. So um, I had a terribly misspent youth. So it wasn't until, um, and I would, you know, go to parties and come home at three in the morning and then sleep till two the next day and get up and go to my job at the bar. And then I might do a little (laughs) bit of work on my PhD. And, you know, that was, it was the classic arts student lifestyle. So it wasn't until much later that I acquired the necessary discipline um, (laughs) to go to bed a bit earlier and and get up really early. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then I started to really love it. I think it's like I used to, to run quite a lot, not so much these days, but it's that same discipline. So in between writing on the days where I really felt like I couldn't do it, I would run as well. And If you've ever done, like, running and and kept it up over a sustained period of time, you'll know that there's a joy in that discipline, that Mm -hmm. self-discipline, and I think writing is similar.
0: Yes, yes. Well, Kate, you, you know, I believe you are truly leading as well in the space of um, Queer YA through this this novel that you've created where you're really championing this romance of two women. Uh, It's so inspiring and so beautiful. I'd love to talk to you about the importance of Queer YA and also how the novel changed for you after you came out.
1: Sure. Um, well, let's start with the the changes and how it changed and then go to the, the importance of because they're bound up together. So mm-hmm. the first version of From Darkness was a straight romance. Um, there was a girl called Ari and a boy. He was called Miles. And the reason that this happened, I think, even though I'd known from at least my late teens, early 20s that I was attracted to women, I was in a relationship with a man. And a lot of things hadn't clicked into place for me, <laughs> um, yeah. you know. And and the more I read the stories by other people who came out a bit later and um, the more I'm reassured that this is not an unusual story at all. But anyway, so I thought, okay, well, I can't. You know i'll set out to write something that i think young readers will want to read and the first version of from darkness was basically pieced together with all these mirrored fragments of fantasy and romance novels that i'd read when i was a teenager and in these books there was always a prince or a, a sensitive and magically gifted or special boy he was always different from all the other boys and he was yeah. going to serve as a love interest for the female hero you know thanks mm. fairy tales. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm writing a novel, it doesn't need to reflect my desires, it doesn't need to reflect my daily reality, this is fiction. And so the established representations of love and romance that were already out there seemed to be what readers wanted. So I kind of just reflected and restaged those. This was a big mistake. Um, I finished the draft Mm -hmm. of the novel and I entered it into an international competition with a major publisher. Um, There were about 4,500 entries worldwide, and mine got down to about the last 35. Wow. Um, I know. I think they chose, and they ended up choosing five or six to publish. Gosh, um wow. And I missed out, and I was kind of bitterly disappointed, but I was mm. encouraged as well that it could come so close. Yes, yes. So, but I put it away for a while and and wrote some other things. But once I came out, I dug the manuscript out again and looked at it, and I thought, oh, my gosh what if Ari wasn't in love with Miles? What if she was in love with another girl? And then everything mm. just clicked. So I wrote, rewrote it as a lesbian love story. And I think this is, it was a, supposed to be a queer love story all along. Yeah. And I wrote it in the, in the same way, rewrote it in the same way that I wrote it the first time in the early hours of the morning and so on. Um, and then it took a while to make these changes because it wasn't just about changing the name of Ari's love interest. Her name is now Alex. And it wasn't about changing pronouns. it was about um, a completely different way of, of looking at the world and embodying oneself and being in the world. Mm. And so it took a long time to make those changes. And as the book changed, I was changing too. So there was this interesting kind of kind of symbiotic relationship or connection there between what was going on in my personal life and what was going on in my book. Wow. Um, yeah, so when I felt brave enough and I felt ready enough, I sent the this new version of the novel off to Duet Books and now it's being published. So I've wow. learned through writing short fiction that editors respond to writing that feels authentic. Mm. And the few bits and pieces of short fiction I've published have been the ones that have been the most difficult to write. So that kind of honesty makes you feel a bit raw and exposed when you, after writing, the stories that don't feel like this, the ones that feel a bit forced, they've all been knocked back. So I guess the lesson that I've learned the hard way is not only to write what you know, which is, you know, common advice to writers but write as honestly as you can because this is the writing that sticks. This is the writing that feels real and is the writing hopefully that people want to read.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love that story so much. (laughs) Was that, I'm interested to know, was that sort of um, almost like a bit of a healing process for you as well, then writing the novel, if your life was changing at the same time? Yeah, it kind of
1: felt like a dual process of emergence in a way or validation Mm -hmm. that um, um, and there are a couple of really interesting essays um, that have just been published, personal essays, one by the YA writer um, Maggie Takuda Hall and she's written a wonderful novel called The Mermaid, The Witch and the Sea and in this essay she writes about how the process of writing that book made her realise that she herself was queer and that she hadn't kind of come to that conclusion until she wrote the book and most recently becky um, Albertali, who wrote love simon has published a personal essay where she is really open about a similar realization that she had about her own sexual orientation her, her own identity mm-hmm. so for me it all happened a little bit before the book but writing the book felt similar that it felt like i was giving myself the the authority to make those changes Yes, yes. And to go to your question about the importance of queer YA, well, it's, of course, tremendously important. And, you know, in the late 20th and early 21st century, there were no happy endings for queer characters, especially lesbian characters. So I think um, Nancy Garden's Annie On My Mind, which was published in 1982, is frequently cited as the first novel featuring young lesbians to have a relatively happy ending. By that I mean no one dies in a car accident. But the characters both experience trauma, you know, in the form of homophobia um, and marginalisation and punishment for their desires. So the novels I read as a teenager didn't even have queer characters. You know, I was reading fantasy, I was reading um, science fiction, I was reading genre fiction, and it took a long time For that to become the kind of avalanche that it is now. And I'm I'm really excited to be hopefully part of that. I just finished, for instance, Kaylin Bayron's Cinderella is Dead. So this is part of this kind of treasure chest that young readers have to choose from now, this book. Um, so it's got a black lesbian protagonist. It is unashamedly feminist. It dismantles the patriarchal garbage that young children, especially girls, are fed through fairy tales. And if I'd had that novel to read when I was a teenager, I think I may have made some different choices
0: yes. in my life. Oh, incredible, incredible. Kate, what would have been the most difficult decision that you've had to make as a leader in your life so far?
1: I think probably sacrificing the security of that ongoing teaching job to return to doing what I really loved. I think when we feel trapped in anything, trapped in a job, trapped in a relationship, trapped for whatever reason, the best thing to do is, if you can, to find the courage to figure out a way out. And Yes, Once you do, once you do find the courage to do that, the other big changes in your life become a bit more achievable, or at least they feel more achievable. So Mm -hmm. I hope that if I haven't yet, then when they're a bit older, I'll be able to show my daughters that taking calculated risks and following through with the big decisions you make in life and really standing by those decisions can deliver you safely to a place where you're a lot happier.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. And what has been your greatest professional achievement?
1: Writing from darkness and yes. the big deal.
0: <laughs> I thought that might be the case. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wonderful, wonderful. And so to finish up today, what is one piece of leadership
1: advice that you can leave me with today? Right. I think that it would be that in order to create positive change, both in our own lives and in the lives of others, We need to recognize that that's not going to happen all at once or that it rarely does and that that's okay Mm. um and being resilient i think means accepting that we're going to be stretched we're going to be stretched thin sometimes too thin but if we're sufficiently nurtured and nourished and that includes nurturing and nourishing ourselves and not just accepting outside help then we will be strong enough to keep going so i guess the advice is Keep watering your succulents. Don't overwater them. They don't like that. Um, (laughs) And if we remember that even the hardiest living beings need a bit of kindness in order to grow and to flower and to thrive. And if we then apply that same principle to our own nurturing, then I think that helps us to be strong leaders in whatever aspect of our lives we need to be leaders.
0: That is so so beautiful. I'm, I am picturing it. you can tell you're a writer. I mean I'm, I'm actually <laughs> picturing what you're saying right now and and it's so beautiful. I, I love the way that you express this and you know I just want to, I want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with me today and for sharing these beautiful insights on leadership and your perspective on it and, and how you incorporate these qualities in your life. It's It's been so wonderful. I really enjoyed chatting with you today and, and all the best for the release of your novel From Darkness.
1: Thank you so much, Sam. It's been absolutely amazing to talk to you and thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.